As a high-performing runner and triathlete for over 20 years of my life, I suffered from body dysmorphia due partly to the messages that I got as a teenager from my coaches, but also because of all of the images that I saw in magazines of those pro athletes in their perfect bodies and constantly comparing myself to them. And I know that this is a big problem in certain groups of athletes, especially dancers, gymnasts, runners, triathletes in particular. So in this episode of the Karmic Warrior podcast, I have an important conversation with a fellow colleague, meditation teacher, and intuitive mentor, Khadija Mitchell-Polka, about our shared journeys as athletes and about how we both discovered freedom from being overly identified with our bodies through our yoga and meditation practice. So stay tuned. Hi there, yogis and karmic warriors. Welcome to the Karmic Warrior Podcast, where we talk about living an extraordinary life by practicing time-proven and tested teachings of yoga wisdom traditions. I'm your host, Lisa Ingalls Witter, and the goal of this podcast is really quite simple. It's just to make it easier than ever before for anyone to find happiness and fulfillment in their everyday life by using the wisdom teachings that have already been passed down to us for millennia. So do be sure to subscribe to this podcast here on YouTube and anywhere that you can find podcasts. One of the biggest challenges that my clients and uh, people come to me with is that they find themselves stuck repeating the same lessons over and over and over again in life. And they're really frustrated. They're at a loss because most of them have already done years of the work, whether that's therapy or coaching or spiritual practice, and yet they still find themselves struggling with the same unhealthy relationships, or they feel like they should be further along in life than they are personally, professionally, and spiritually. So if you can relate to any of that, then I invite you to head on over to www.karmic-warrior.com to grab my free report on why you keep getting handed that one lesson in life, even if you've spent years doing the work. And in this free report, I'll reveal to you the secret about harnessing the law of karma, not the law of attraction, but the law of karma to finally break free of that one lesson so that you can live a freer, fuller life right now. I put the link in the description below. And now my conversation with meditation teacher and intuitive mentor, Khadija Mitchell-Polka. So welcome Khadija Mitchell-Polka to the Karmic Warrior podcast. It's so delightful to have you here with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be with you this morning. Yeah, and I thought 
it would be fun to dive into our conversation today. You know, we had talked, um, we connected a, a couple or a few weeks ago now, I guess, and um, we, we realized we had something in common, uh, which is that we both have backgrounds in high performance, um, using our body in a high performance way, athletics, right? You were a dancer, I was a runner, triathlete, and then found out that you were also a mountain bike uh, rider and racer. Uh, and there's just so much in that world of high performance around, um, well, I'll just put it this way, being really identified with our bodies as high performing athletes. And um, it really, in our conversation, what I appreciated about, and I want to open this way is how over identified as athletes, both you and I were, and, and really the suffering <laughs> that that ended causing us um, over time. So I'd love for you to share just a little bit, um, start out with your story, your journey as a dancer and an athlete. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Lisa. Um, I love how you kind of brought that into just the identification with the body causing suffering. Because when I really kind of go back to that place in my life, even though I loved my dance experience so much, I was suffering for a while. And, um, you know, so I, when I was really young, I would put on bathing suits and go dance around my grandparents' house and like, and do, I'm going to do a performance for you. I've got it. I'm going to do a dance performance for you. And, and so my grandpa, my grandma, and my parents were like, oh, we have to get her in dance. She's just so energetic. She so, has so much, you know, life, and she just wants to move. We got to put her in dance. And so they, they put me in ballet, um, which, which was its own set of challenges because we, um, we were in poverty, my family. And so my grandpa had to often kind of help us out. And the first studio I went to, my mom kind of worked, volunteered there in a way to pay off our bill um, there for my dance. But um, so that kind of, I think, played a role also in that identification, just because of the, the feeling of lack all the time and not, you know, having enough. Um, but so I started dancing when I was about eight years old and um, danced until I was uh, 16, very consistently. And throughout those, all those years, I was certain I was going to be a ballerina, a professional ballerina. That was my goal. That was where I was going to end up. That was what I was going to do. That was what my eye was on the target for. And um, when I was about 12 years old, um, you know, right after sixth grade, you know, it's like around the time the, the, you know, you're starting to become more of a female, your body is changing, you know, often you get your period. And for me, that was the case. Um, and we went on this, this family vacation between sixth and seventh grade. And I put on a bunch of weight just because, um, you know, we were at families and we were eating a bunch of food, really, really awesome experience. I didn't think anything of it. But when we got home um, from that vacation and dance started back up um, after the, the summer, you know, break, um, I remember the first day that I was, I was going back to dance. I had gone into my parents' bathroom, put on my leotard and tights and, you know, was ready to go. And I came out of um, my parents' bathroom and my dad, he was laying on his bed and he called me over and, and he goes, uh, Cuddy J, um, don't you think you're getting a little pudgy around the middle? And I mean, I couldn't tell you what happened after that. Like I really couldn't. Um, 
like I, I'm certain we had some sort of conversation and then I went off to dance, but I don't really know. And I'm really certain that had my dad known the effect that those words would have on me, he would never have said them, but he, he didn't, he was, he was in his own world and we we're not going into that. But so over the next year, those words and also my idealization of what it meant to be a ballerina, this very thin, slender, you know, uh, like perfect word, you know, that would often come to my mind, human, where you could see their bones. This is kind of sad, but you could see their bones. That to me was something I idolized. And I, um, over that next year, just kind of came to this conclusion that the food was my enemy and that in order for me to ever be that ballerina that I wanted to be I I had to get rid of the enemy and so I slowly well I I I say slowly but it was really kind of an over almost overnight um change where I just decided I was going to stop eating and um and this, this battle with um, anorexia really went on for about four years um, secretively. I was able to keep it a secret because um, I was experiencing some health issues because of not eating and not having nutrients and, and things in my body. But I wasn't experiencing like the normal losing your hair or, you know, there were certain things that were not there. Um, but I was having issues with my thyroid and my hormones. And so when I was going to the doctor, they would go every two weeks, get my blood drawn, and my thyroid would either be hyper or hypoactive. And so there was something really funky going on. And so that was, and my doctor at the time was like, well, that's probably the reason for her weight loss. Like it's just this thyroid thing. And so I was able to keep it a secret for a very long time until, um, you know, I finally told one of my best friends and and my boyfriend at the time. And he basically told me that if I didn't tell my parents, he would. And, you know, it was, it was through that, that I decided, okay, it was time to tell my parents ended up telling my parents. And that kind of started this, this journey of recovering. Um, but not without darkness between, but in that, but through that, I really learned at that time that, the only way for me to be successful was if I had that perfect body and I, I desired to be perfect. That was like my um, cry to the universe was why can't I just be perfect? And I'd stand in front of the mirror, criticizing myself, criticizing my weight, you know, tugging and poking at certain parts of my body, my face, and just telling myself how, you know, ugly I was or overweight. I was at 90 pounds, you know, 95 pounds. And so it was, it was, um, it was a very hard time, but in all of that, I was, I was suffering through my identification with what my body was supposed to look like, um, you know, and, and I, I'll, I want to pause here. Cause I, I know you have something that you can bring in. Um, but you know, the body identification didn't stop when I quit dance, right. It was a long process of, of coming to myself and working through that. So, um, that's just kind of a little piece of my story. Um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, really poignant. And I can totally relate myself in a different way. Cause, um, I was a runner and still am a runner actually. <laughs> uh, but in the world, in the, in a similar way in the world of running, especially back when I was a runner in the eighties, and this was like long distance running, 
it was you had to weigh like nothing in order to, I mean, you know what I mean? In order to be a high performing runner, you were expected to be extraordinarily thin. And if I had that same issue while I didn't have, um, I didn't have any eating disorders. I definitely had body dysmorphia. I thought I was always fat and I, but I was always told that by my coaches, like five more pounds, five more pounds. You need to lose five more pounds. And it wasn't just me. They were telling that to, they were telling it to the whole team. Like everybody needed to lose five more pounds because those five extra pounds, you're going to be lighter. You're going to run faster. And so it was just constantly on my mind. And for me, in the same way for you, that looking at those ballerinas and what they looked like, having the epitome of that, I was looking at runners and then triathletes who these women who some of them just had these bodies that just like had zero percentage fat and all muscle and were thin. And it's like a, a standard, like how can you even live up to that standard for most women? And this went on for me through college as well, because I was a runner in college, but it caused me a lot of suffering in this body identification and feeling like if only I was thinner, if only I weighed less, I would be better. And then, it, of course, in, in retrospect, looking back, it's like, well, why did I even care? Well, because my core wound was I'm not good enough, you know, and whatever that comes from, it didn't come from running. Um, it didn't come from, oh, I'm not a good enough runner. I, I was clear pretty early on in my running career that I was never going to be an Olympic medalist in my running. I was, I've always been good, but I was never even at the elite level for, for running. I'm just like a good runner, standard good runner, but not even elite, let alone pro. So it wasn't even that for me that I was hooking onto, but I thought if only I could have my body look like this, then I would be quote unquote good enough. And of course, like I said, that came from, from deeper issues that I had as a kid. And what I find interesting, another thing you and I have in common is we have kids, right? And so then I went through, and I'm so curious how this was for you, how that shifted for you when you got pregnant, because pregnancy for me was not great at all. In fact, like all the women who have the beautiful glow, the pregnant glow, I didn't have the pregnant glow <laughs> and I put on 60 pounds and it was crazy. It was so hard for me um, with my body and dealing with my body looks like this. And, and I remember just being crying, crying because I hated my body so much when I was pregnant, which is awful. It's like, I'm bringing this life into the world. And here I am. So, um, like self-centered focused on what my body looks like. And I hate my body. It's just so, you know, the, the suffering <laughs> that it caused really. 
I really appreciate that question a lot. And I, um, I think it's so important. I, I, I think I had slightly a different experience with my pregnancy. It was, um, I was a a very young mother. I, you know, so I quit dance when I was 16 and, and then that kind of spiraled this whole need to get away from everything in my life that had resembled that time. So I dropped out of high school. I broke up with the boyfriend. I moved out of my parents' house. I, you know, and I started on this kind of very um, little bit darker path. Um, and at the end of this year of going through this kind of like this dark night of my soul, or maybe not even quite that, but just a very dark time in my life, um, I found myself pregnant. And during my pregnancy, I became really preoccupied with trying to make the relationship with the father work. Um, and so it was like, instead of identifying with my body, um, I was now identifying with trying to fix this broken relationship where I was actually, it was actually a very abusive relationship, um, which I don't really want to go into just out of respect for their biological father and for my children. Um, but just, um, so I became very identified with that. But one thing for me was during my pregnancy, cause my, my dad, he, um, you know, he had said that thing to me when I was younger and he, he actually passed away about um, three months after my daughter was born. So it was my first child. Um, and when I became pregnant, um, I was only 18. I had just literally just turned 18. And, and it, I found, I found out the day after my 18th birthday and I had already been pregnant for, you know, a month and a half, you know? So anyway, um, and the first words out of my dad's mouth were, uh oh, or oh no, like, you know, oh my gosh, what happened? But he was actually one of the people that was really, um, really trying to help me through that time. And he, um, he would call me every week, he'd check in on me, and he would constantly tell me because he knew now about the eating disorder and what the suffering I had been going through. And he would tell me, don't worry about how much weight you gain, because you're, you're, you're caring for two, you're eating for two, you have to take care of yourself. Mm. And I, and I think maybe because there, because I had some subconscious need for his approval from what he had said when I was younger, that hearing him say that gave me permission in a sense to kind of just be okay with that. So I, I put on a lot of weight. I went from like 120 pounds to 190 or something within the, um, that time period. And it wasn't until after I had my daughter that that stuff started to seep in. So then I had the, you know, after post-pregnancy belly and the now stretch marks, which at, you know, 18 years old was these, it was, it was really challenging because wanting to be perfect for so long. And now I have even more, you know, these stretch marks and, and things going on with my body. And I was in an abusive relationship. I had a really, um, challenging time with my perception of who I was and myself. And I, all those thoughts, like you were talking about, you know, feeling like not worthy or not being enough from childhood, all those thoughts were just really taking precedence in my life. And I felt unworthy. I felt like I wasn't enough. I felt like I was a terrible person because of the things I was hearing, um, you know, in my partnership. Um, and and I felt so ugly. Like, I just felt like I was really just this very not attractive human being. And, um, who would, who would ever love me now that I have a child and I'm so, you know, like, how can I even leave this relationship now when I have this daughter and I have 
this body that, you know, is not perfect. And, um, you know, when I actually little go, time goes by and I end up pregnant with my son. Um, and this was right around the tail end of that relationship when I finally was able to leave. Um, and again, it was interesting because when I was pregnant with my son, I, I felt okay. I felt okay about, about my body. I felt like I was whole, you know, it was for my, my son, I needed to feed my son, but after it was over, it was once again, the same, that same stuff coming in. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I totally relate to the piece just really quick around who, who would even want, cause I got divorced when my daughter was three and I, I had those same things like who would even want, I'm not good enough. I'm not, who would want a woman who has a child? And, you know, I, I felt like I was just going to be a burden to everybody, but I think this is where like, Another thing, of course, we share in common is you're a meditation teacher, you're an intuitive mentor, and I think this is the beauty of yoga and the beauty of these Eastern spiritual traditions that help us to uh, really see clearly who we truly are. I mean, it's through the pra these practices, especially meditation, that we can begin to drop those veils and that we can begin to disidentify with our body, that we can begin to disidentify with those beliefs that, you know, I'm not worthy enough, I'm not good enough. And um, I think that's a real gift uh, in, the, in yoga and specifically in the practice of meditation. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey into finding meditation for yourself and you know even yoga what was your relationship uh with that practice yeah thank you it's a beautiful question um you know so i the first time i ever did yoga was actually i had i just had my son um i was out of that relationship i was living in actually the old the old trailer that um i had grown up in my brother and me and and one of my, and our a couple of our friends we all moved back in there um together and we were living there and the whole different interesting life experience but my brother had this yoga tape and and he was i i remember i don't know exactly how it happened but i remember him being like you should try this you should try doing this yoga with me. So I remember doing in our like little den with the carpeted floor, you know, on the carpet, just like following along in this tape and like, what are they even doing? And like, I am, I'm like, okay, I'm just, I'm a dancer, so I can do this, whatever the poses are. And, and that was my introduction to yoga was just this, this tape. And, um, I think it actually was a VHS tape, but maybe it was a CD. I, anyway, a DVD. Anyway, so so then after that, I was really like, oh, this is so wonderful. You know, this this yoga, it's like kind of like dance because I'm putting my body into like postures and and I'm I'm working. You know, I'm getting into that space of kind of quiet and stillness, just from not focusing on anything going around me, but just focusing on the posture, focusing on the position. And so I started going to a yoga studio in town and just doing a lot of hot yoga. And, um, and I, and this, this was really my first introduction into meditation was in yoga. And I did that for, you know, quite a few years, um, pretty loyally. I was going quite often. Um, and 
you know, there was a lot of it that I just appreciated and valued so much because of the spiritual aspect of it, because of the quiet aspect of it, because of how you'd go into class. And it was like, you left everything at the door, you left your past at the door, you left your future at the door. And it was just you and your mat for that hour, hour and a half. And um, I think it was really this first step into healing for me in, in, in some cases. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I kind of later on in life that came back, I was doing a lot of yoga and ended up with an injury um, that came from, from, but it wasn't from the yoga. It was, that was just kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. It was from the negative thoughts that I was thinking, the constant um, like belittling I was doing to myself of the, you know, not of, of again, still identifying with the body in that case and, and like needing to be perfect. Um, yeah. And, and um, I'm going to just pause there. Cause I, I know you've had some really wonderful experiences with yoga and, and, you know, it's all part of your work. And so I just would love to hear kind of more on that from you too. Yeah. Well, for me, um, similar to you, we have a lot of parallels here. I, I started a pretty intense yoga practice right after my daughter was born. Um, so that was about 20 years ago. And uh, I was into it. I loved yoga. I was like vinyasa freak, like <laughs> give me, I couldn't do enough vinyasa in combination with my running and my cycling and my swimming. I, at that point I was a triathlete too. So vinyasa, I loved it because for me, yoga on the mat yoga at that point in my life was more actually about the athleticism of it. I loved the strength aspect of it. Unlike you, I'm not a dancer and uh, I, I can't, couldn't and still can't put myself into a lot of the positions just because I don't have, my joints just don't do that. My body doesn't move in that way, but it didn't matter. It just felt like good to be on the mat and do these movements. But the one thing that I did get out of yoga besides the athleticism, because again, I was so I still very identified with my body, even though I was on the mat, was exactly what you talked about, which is um, moving into stillness and having these moments of stillness that yoga on the mat allows just by the nature of asana. It, and you know, of course, having a, a really good instructor does help <laughs> to have someone who can lead you through and, and know when the pause is necessary and to when to let you drop into that stillness. And um, it was in those moments of stillness that I, as I look back now, I didn't see it then, but as I look back now, I can identify those moments or that period of time of like, oh, that's when I really started to, I want to say disintegrate, but it wasn't a total disintegration, meaning started to have a deeper understanding of who I really am besides just this body that I could move into something deeper when I allowed for these moments of stillness to open up. And that directly transferred actually to my running and to my cycling as an athlete. 
I found that being on the mat and those moments of stillness transferred into when I would go on a long run. And all of a sudden, instead of it being a long run, as I always like to say, running is my spiritual cardiotherapy. It would turn into these long moments, even though I was running, of just being still, having the stillness inside of the movement. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm really, um, I'm really glad that you brought that up. Like the, you know, um, doing more of the like athletic yoga in the sense of still being identified to the body. Right. So even, you know, that was still part of where I was at that time too, because, you know, when I was doing yoga, I had, you know, just had my son and I was working with my body. And even still the years after I was still, um, like, like battling that old part of me really working on letting that go. And so there I am in a yoga studio in front of a mirror again. Right. And so that would definitely (laughs) just bring up those old, like, there's my judgment of my body and how does it look today? And I'm in this tight clothes and, you know, and so I, and I didn't really like, these were all happening very unconsciously and, and habitually, you know, and, um, but there, but when I could get past that, and just close my eyes and not, you know, not focus on that and really just be in that space of stillness. I mean, it was such a different experience than I was sitting when I was sitting there in the room going, oh man. And like, you know, you can't even focus on the posture because you're focusing so much on the body. Right. And, um, but, but I do really also very much appreciate like how you're talking about those moments of stillness overlaying into the other um, activities that you were doing, such as running or um, cycling. And, and I, uh, I started mountain biking. Um, I don't remember 20, when I was like 24, 25, this is a few years after I had already been doing yoga and had had my kids. And, um, and I got really involved with the cycling community in my, in my hometown. And, oh my gosh, it was actually one of the first times I think that I was in a, a sport that I wasn't identifying with my body as much because I was doing so much like cardio and that it was like burning it all off for me. So I felt like I could, I had a little bit, I could eat more. So there was, there was this, like, it wasn't that I was becoming okay with my body so much. It was that I was exercising so much that I was allowing myself to eat more. Right. So there it was, you know, but one of the things that, um, was so really beautiful about this was I found in my cycling, my mountain biking, was that I would go out on my mountain bike and because, you know, it's one of those sports where you can't afford to, to not be present in what you're doing a lot of the time. And, and I learned that the hard way when I was learning how to mountain bike. I mean, I think I fell every time I was on my bike for a while to the point where one day I threw my bike over, and you know, any cyclist out there is like, no, why'd you do that? But like, you know, I like threw my bike and I was like, I quit. I'm never doing this again. And of course I got back up and I did it again, but, but I found that like, to be, I had to be fully present in what I was doing so that I could, you know, get over those obstacles and, and ride further and, and do the harder, um, technical riding. And, and I would find myself in this place that I'd call the silence. And this wasn't, I wasn't meditating at the time. I mean, I was doing yoga, so that was my meditation, but I wasn't doing any formal meditation, 
But this was the first time that I felt like this pure, true silence when I was in on this bicycle and to where just everything expands and opens up. It's just you and the trail, you and the place in front of you and nothing else matters. Right. And it was just so um, it was a it was very healing for me, actually, mountain biking. And until I mean, you know, if you don't heal yourself, then even the good things can become detrimental to your health after time, which again, because of me not really dealing with the identification with my body aspect, eventually it kind of led to burnout, right? And, and to, um, to feeling like, to where I lost actually the joy of cycling and I was then started doing it because of, you know, oh, I need to lose weight or, oh, I need to be able to eat what I want to eat, right? And so, hmm. so it had its- yeah. Yeah, that's a huge one. I mean, I coached triathletes for many, many years. I was actually the head running coach of the Silicon uh, Valley Triathlon Club between 2002 and 2020. So not that long ago with, you know, long period of time uh, where I coached. And um, I would say that there are a lot of endurance sport athletes who have do exactly that. Like I'm going to it becomes about, oh, I'm doing this so that it gives me permission to, number one, either there's a body thing going on, like I'm doing this so that I'll look better. Or, you know, people think because I'm an endurance sport athlete, my body will change in this way that it will start to look like the, the pros do, or I can eat more. I would have clients that would like, I can't stop. I just have to eat a whole pizza after, you know, like I'm laughing, but that's true. Or the other um, thing, and this isn't a body identification thing, but it's just a distraction. It becomes, oh, I can do this because I can go spend four hours out on a ride and not have to deal with my bad relationship. Or this is how I get away from my work issues and like release stress. But really, I had clients, um, athletes I was working with that, that were older, like 60 years and older. And it was like, do you realize that actually doing this much to your body is damaging? It's not actually to do that much endurance sport. We have proof now scientifically that there's sort of, you know, point of diminishing returns of how much you can ride or run. And it's good for you. Not to say that you shouldn't do any of it, but that that overdoing it is really an addiction or a, a, a way of abusing the self, the body that you don't even realize, you know? And, and so I'm really curious about how your journey progressed to, the way I would put it is like realizing who you really are, like answering that question, who am I? Because meditation is such an important practice to help us disidentify with those aspects of who we think we are versus who and then to to realize who we really are self-realization right yeah yeah so um another beautiful question yeah um you know i had i had mentioned that eventually like yoga and cycling became detrimental to my health. Right. And, and ultimately it was like you mentioned, you know, overdoing it. And also that negative thought train that was just spiraling through my mind and all at all times. 
And I was actually, um, this is, you know, years later, years goes by, and I was working on a PhD program that I ended up leaving and finishing with a second master's, but I was working on a PhD program and going to yoga um, religiously. Like, I mean, it was like my religion. I needed to go to yoga because it was the only thing to help me clear my mind and help me. And I was actually, it was, you know, one of those studios where they do like power yoga and, and things like that. And, and I was in a power yoga class. So, you know, with weights, like, Okay. Anyway, so I'm like with weights, and and, and I Yoga like with weights. Yeah, I know you're yeah. talking about them. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah. Anyway, and so no criticism for people who enjoy that, but it was not for me, and it was not good for my body. And so I was in the in the class and doing a, I probably like a deadlift, which those anyway. So, and I felt my back just go like go out. And I mean, I had, I was no stranger to this. I'd experienced it before in my life, but I had, but this was in a class and my ego was like, uh-uh girl, you better finish the class. You better finish what you started. You came here. You're not a quitter. And so I finished out the class, which was not a good idea. I should have sat down and taken the hit and been with my body, but anyway, I didn't. So, and I ended up, um, for, you know, next while nursing, uh, a chronic back pain that ended up being, um, some more deeper seated issues of, you know, slight scoliosis, herniated disc, degenerative disc disease, and these things that, um, felt so scary to me, like, oh my gosh, you know, my dad had dealt with some of those things and it had really influenced his mental health. And I was really afraid of traveling down that same path or not living up to my full potential. And, and so I went on a healing journey. Um, I really started this healing journey of, of, of my own because I, I knew I needed to heal. And at first that healing looked like going to the doctors, the spine specialists, the physical therapists, the chiropractors, you know, energy healers. I mean, like just going to all the healers that I could think of that was at first um, so that they could fix me. And that was, that went on for a while um, until I, I, um, realized it wasn't working. That wasn't doing it. I was still not feeling well. Months had gone by and, and I was still, you know, dealing with this chronic pain and wearing a back brace and who that is a, that plays a trick on your mind. Like, am I ever going to get out of this brace, you know? And, um, and so I, you know, long, long story shortening it down through a very deep, dark night of my soul, I, and through praying, you know, to, to my source, to my God, to, to what I consider God, the universe, you know, I found my way to meditation and, you know, I had meditated before, but not consistently, you know, it, it had been like here and there. And like I said, yoga was my meditation and riding, cycling was my meditation or running or hiking or whatever, but I found my way to formal, you know, a sitting practice of, of embracing that you know, you, the inner you. And, and this is really where um, my healing started to occur because um, I, it just like, as I was talking about earlier, you know, you go into that, you go onto your mat and it was like, you leave the past behind and you let forget about the future and you're just here. And it would, it would do that for me, right? It would, I'd leave the past behind and I'd forget about my future. And I was just here but I wasn't standing in front of a mirror where I could then judge myself and say mean things to myself. I was, I was sitting in my body and feeling what was there. 
I was letting the, the pain from the past bubble up and meeting it where it was and experiencing it and feeling it and letting it go because that was not where I was. And, um, and I, I, I really saw my life start to transform as I just had a daily practice. It wasn't like I was really doing really anything else very much differently other than getting up a couple of hours earlier every morning, spending some time in, and at the time, I mean, I didn't even have like a studio or anything. I was going downstairs into our living room and I sat there with a chair and a chair and nothing, you know, no, not really like a sacred space, but I made it my sacred space, you know, and I sat there and, and for a couple hours and would just meditate and work with myself and work with my body. And, and I had a, a lot of opportunities to, to meet all of those old wounds. I mean, and, and I mean, I still do, right. Healing's nonlinear. So we keep healing, but I had a lot of those opportunities to see, you know, like how much I had been identifying with my body, with this skin, with my, you know, with what I look like. And I found, you know, through that something so much deeper than just what my appearance is, just more than this like need for perfection. I found this underlying essence of oneness, this essence of love, of truth, of an inner, of an inner being, a higher self that never criticizes, that never judges, that never cares what you know, what you look like, that only wants to love, that only wants you to experience love. And when I found that, it was like tapping into um, gold, like as if I had I had struck upon gold, and it truly, truly just changed my life and has just made me want to keep diving in there, even though it's sticky and so, yeah. sometimes often uncomfortable. But I think, and what you're pointing to is the the result of what happens is this this um incredible sense of freedom i'm no longer bound by this identification with my body because i relate to it i have a different relationship with it now than i than i did before in other words the the at least for me the meditation it, it's like this evolutionary journey with my body of like oh, there's a different way that I can relate to this body. And I don't need to think that it's me because it's not me. And you, you perfectly described that, that inner experience and sense of, um, of oneness and unity. And especially I love, because I always say this too, is who you really are is has unconditionally accepts everything. Mm. And when you recognize and when you tap into that realization, it, it, it doesn't even matter anymore. It's like, oh, wow. Well, my body has this ache and pain. I have, you know, I have students and clients who come to me who have particular relationships around their body because of pain like being in pain and they want to change the body, change the body instead of just changing their relationship to the pain. And, and when, when we do that, it's the same thing because the pain is a physical thing. It's happening in the body. Um, just changing that relationship, how we, how we relate to it is freeing in and of itself because we're no longer identified with that pain is me. 
you know, this, this body is me when it's, when you realize it's no longer, oh, no, <laughs> this is just the vehicle through which this is the sense organ that I can, that this consciousness can touch and experience life and reality. It's not me. It's, it's the change that changes everything. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so big. What you said, like the identification, even with the pain as part of your body. Right. Right. I mean, that is so huge because when I was going to all these specialists and doctors, they, you know, oh my gosh, they were amazing. I actually had a really great group um, of, of doctors. They all came through the university I was going through and they would tell me that same thing. Like, it's because you're, you have to stop identifying with the pain, like, and it will help it to heal better. And, and at the time I would get so mad at them because I was like, you're just trying to tell me, you know, it's all in my head or, you know, whatever. And it took me going on to, into my meditation space to realize how much I had been focusing so much on that pain every day that I was actually just reinviting it back into my body every morning when I woke up going, looking for it, like, oh, where's the, what's my, what's my pain status, you know, looking for it. And then that, there it is. Even on days where it wasn't there, I'm like, I'm not feeling <laughs> questioning it. Yeah. Like, wait, did it really go away or is right. it still there? Right. It's hiding for me. I know it's there. Right. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. And so, so when I could get past that and, and, you know, really like, I am not my body. I am not, you know, my mind. I'm not my, I'm not my breath. I'm so much deeper than that. And when I could get to that core essence of, of who we truly, truly are, I mean, that is where the healing comes from and is made possible. Yeah, beautiful. I just love this conversation. I know that we could keep going on and on, but I mean, I want to wrap it up. And I want to um, let our listeners and our viewers know how they can uh, get in touch with you or find out more about you. Can you tell us a little bit about um, maybe your website or where, where people can find out more about you? Yeah, awesome. So I... Uh, I, I do hold a lot of events, some meditation events. They do them live on Zoom, so you can join in a group. And I'm also a, um, an intuitive mentor. So I work a lot with people who have been through similar um, situations and also who are just really ready to experience more in life and find that pathway into stillness. And so to find me or to find more about my offerings, you can go to www.com journeyintothesoul.com. So it's real easy, journeyintothesoul.com. And that's really my name across platforms. So Instagram, Facebook, anywhere you go, you'll find me um, under that name. And yeah, I, I really, yeah, that's my, my path now, you know, my goal and my, or my life mission is to bring this to the world more. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, I'm so glad that we've had this opportunity to connect and have this conversation, which I believe is, is a deeply important conversation. I don't even know if this conversation is being had enough, especially in the realm of um, athletics and high performing athletes. So I really appreciate you being so open and gracious with sharing your story, because I know that it's going to help the listeners, the viewers here who, who most need to hear, hear these stories and relate to it and go, oh yeah, you know, there's, there's so much depth and wisdom and learning um, from what you've shared. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast and uh, being here with me today. 
Yeah, thank you, Lisa. It's been such an honor to be here. I, I, I agree. I think these conversations are really important. There's a lot of young individuals out there, or maybe not even young individuals that are very much in that space. And, and we can find freedom and liberation from it. We really can. Um, it just takes a little bit of a shift in a perspective and a shift in what we're doing in our lives. And so it's been such an honor to be here with you today. You're doing such great work. Yeah. Oh, thank you. All right. Thank you so much. And to all of our viewers and listeners, I hope you join me next time. And for now, we're signing off.